So he had just graduated from seminary. All of his professors had always been extremely complimentary. His fellow students had told him he was an excellent preacher. And the church that he found to serve was in an urban setting. It was a difficult ministry. And while he knew whenever he accepted the charge that it would be a task, he thought that he would have sufficient time to write sermons. But as it turned out, there were far more Saturday night specials than there were Monday lengthy theological treaties. But every Sunday after he preached, at the end of the service, one of the dear sisters would come to him, grab hold of his hand, and say, powerful sermon, preacher, powerful sermon. Well, after six months, he knew that he had preached some real dogs. But he went to Sister Mary's, and after the small talk that preachers make with congregants, after they had shared a cup of coffee, he felt comfortable enough, and he looked at Sister Mary, and he said, Mary, he said, I've got a question. And she said, fire away, preacher boy. And he looked at her and said, Mary, every time I preach, after I preach, you tell me the same thing. Powerful sermon, powerful sermon. Just what do you mean by that? She looked at him with a twinkle in her eye and said, some's powerful good and some's powerful bad, but they's all powerful. What I pray for this morning is that you might hear a powerful word from God, that he might speak to you about the depth of his love, about the power of his forgiveness, about the majesty of his grace. And so in order for us to move forward, I want us to just take a moment and I want us to pray together. I want us to ask God to take what we have sung, to take what we have experienced in the fellowship of Take Five and mold it and use it along with his word to equip us, to move us forward in our growth as disciples. So let's join together in prayer. God, we unite our hearts together to ask that you might move in and through us, that we might hear from your word. Father, I just pray that you would use me in whatever way you want this morning. But more importantly, Father, what I ask is that you would use your spirit to quicken us and to remind us of how much we are loved. In Jesus' precious name, amen. In the words of Billy Wilson, she wore my sweatshirt. It didn't fit her. In fact, she looked rather foolish in it, almost ridiculous. She should have never worn it in the first place. But she didn't wear it to make a fashion statement. She didn't wear it to impress people. She wore it because it was mine. 1 John 4.16 says, We know and rely upon the love of God. That word know that John uses there is the word for experiential knowing. 
It's not just a book knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a knowledge that comes through the experience of having been touched, of having experienced the power of God's love in our life. And John goes on to say, it's a power so great that we rely upon it, we depend upon it, we stand upon it, and we live in it. Karl Barth, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, had spoken at Princeton. All of the students there had gathered afterward because they wanted to have an intimate time with Karl Barth, this great mind, this gifted theologian. And finally, after a season of questions, asking all kinds of deep theological ponderings, one student at the very back raised his hand and he said, Dr. Bart, I have just one question. Out of all the things that you have plumbed in Scripture, out of all the persons that you have heard, out of all the texts that you have studied, what is it that you have learned that means more to you than anything else. And Karl Barth looked at the student and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We've all heard it. A hundred sermons, a sweatshirt that announces it, K-love that reminds us, bumper stickers. We've all heard that Jesus loves us. But the real question that begs an answer is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God loves me? That what the Bible says about the love of God is really true? I have preached for over 30 years, and I have to be very honest with you, I've never really met anyone who declares that there is no God. There are persons that I have met that are very angry with God. There are persons that I've met that pretend there is no God. But I've never really met anyone who honestly, openly declares there is no God. God. But what I have heard time and time again, I believe there's a God, but I'm not sure that God cares about me. John writes to his church and he says, we know and rely upon the love of God. You know, I, I thought long and hard about preaching this morning. It's been a while since I've been in a pulpit. I've got almost a year's worth of sermons accumulated in me, so strap it on. No, I'm just kidding. And I thought about all of the issues that some of you are wrestling with. I thought about the parents who are struggling with the fact that their kids are graduating from school and getting ready to leave home 
and trying to measure themselves by a standard of asking, have I done enough? Are they really prepared to leave? I thought about some of you who I know are struggling with real physical pain that have been to the doctors and the doctors have said, we've done all we can do and there's nothing else left. And I know some of you are struggling with parents who have been confronted by what is perhaps the ugliest and meanest of all the illnesses that a person can experience. The loss of their memory. And you are confronted with the reality that a day looms large when a person that you love, who has nourished, who has encouraged, who has prayed for you, is going to arrive at that point that they don't even know who you are. And some of you just this last week renewed the commitment that you were going to quit whatever it is that has a grip on your soul and your heart that we label as addiction. And I'm going to stand up here this morning and give you the simple platitude. Jesus loves you. This I know For the Bible tells me so, pat, 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 it'll be all right. And the truth is, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because when John wrote those words, he wrote them because he knew That in the good times and the bad times and in all the times in between, the one thing that mattered, the only thing that mattered, the only thing that was constant, the only thing that would be consistent, the only thing that would see him and those that he loved through the trials, the tribulations, and the difficulties was the steadfast love of God. Of God. And so he writes to his church and he says, We know and rely upon the love of God. But it wasn't just John. You see, Paul wrote something very similar to a mature church to a church that had a solid foundation. And he wrote to them this prayer found in the third chapter of what we call Ephesians, beginning in the 16th verse. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom this whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit 
in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled in the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, some of us think that, oh yeah, I understand. It begins with God's love. And I've got that one. I believe it. I know that God loves me. Let's move on. Let's move on and talk about giftedness. Let's move on and talk about eschatology and end times. Let's move on and get into something deeper. This thing about Jesus loves me, I've got it. When I was in Milligan, all the students were required to take three courses in religion. We had to take Introduction to Old Testament, Introduction to New Testament, and Christ and Culture. And man, once you got through with those, you were free to do whatever else you wanted. You could go deep. You could study whatever it was that you wanted. And sometimes I liken the Christian experience to that. Oh, I've done Love 101. But Paul writes and says, no, 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 no. Once you've got 101, which is an understanding that God loves you, then it's time for 201 which is how deep is the love of God. And once you've gone to 201, then it's time for 301, that you might continue to mature and grow in the knowledge and the power that is unleashed when you understand the love of God. And then Paul takes it one step further. And he says, then there's love 401. How we love one another. You see, he was echoing Jesus. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. But I don't know about you, but my love tank runs dry pretty quick. My love tank runs out after about the second person who irritates me. And so I need to be reminded over and over and over and over again of how much God loves me. And so both of these letters are written within context. And when you're a student in seminary, the professors demand that you learn a whole lot about context. What was the setting? The German is Sitzenleben. What's the setting in life? What was this audience? What was their problem? What was their difficulty? But I want to suggest something to you this morning. It wasn't so much the setting in life that drove John and Paul to write. It was the setting that the readers would be in when they heard the message. You see, the Bible tells us 
that the early church gathered for some very specific reasons. And, and Garen, I'm sorry, because I love when you worship. And this morning was just absolutely awesome. But you know the church didn't gather to sing. The, the, the church didn't gather to do a lot of the things that we do today. But there's one thing that we know that the church gathered to do. Every time, whether there was a preacher or no preacher, whether there was a guest speaker or no guest speaker, they gathered together to break bread, to take a loaf and a cup, and to remember. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the poet, wrote the sonnet that many of you probably have heard at least the opening lines to. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. If Genesis 1 didn't already have such a profound opening, I would throw it in the hat and say, God, please use this. Please use this. Because the entire Bible is a statement from God about his love for us. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Well, let's start with creation. That we are created in the image of a holy God, that we bear his image. We are his reflection, that all of that creation speaks to the glory and the majesty and the power and the provision of God. Or maybe for you, it's you have experienced the love of God because you have been delivered from the Egyptian slave master of, of addiction or selfishness or just some other sin. Or maybe it's through the Ten Commandments which would be much better understood not as laws to obey, but words of a wedding vow made to a bride that God loved. Or maybe it's finding forgiveness for our seeming perpetual adultery of chasing after other lovers. Maybe it's his patience. Maybe it's his provision. Maybe it's his power. She wore my sweatshirt even though it didn't fit. She looked foolish in it. In fact, ridiculous, but she didn't wear it to make a fashion statement. She wore it because it was mine. 
you ever think about how we show love as we're growing up? Our granddaughter, whenever she was really little, had this habit of showing her love with slobbery kisses. I'm talking about those kind of wet, gooey, nasty things that kids can do. And we prayed every day, Lord, I hope she grows out of this when she starts dating. And once we've kind of passed that stage, we, we get to elementary school. Do you remember elementary school? Anybody here? I'm old, but I can remember it. And I know how I express my love. I chase the girls all over the playground. Boy, I'd run after them. I'd chase after them. And then if one of them let me catch them, you know, the next thing, I'd, I'd write that note. Have you ever written that note? I love you. Do you love me? Yes or no? Oh, please don't say no. This is the only piece of paper I have. I can't write anybody else. And then we moved from elementary school and we, and we moved to, to, to middle school. And now we've graduated a little bit. We write their name all over our binder. Some of us even get brave. We can't get ink, but, but we use our ink. And so we write their names on, on our body. Our son fell madly in love with this young lady. And, and he thought that she was going to reciprocate. So he went to the barber and had her name cut into his hair. Um, it didn't work, okay? It didn't work because Dad said, you're cutting that mess out, okay? I don't care how much you care for. And then, of course, in middle school, we start the dances. Anybody here remember the first dance you went to? Guys on one side, all the girls on the other. And then finally, towards the very end, there, there's one or two brave souls that cross the abyss of that gym floor, never to be heard or seen from again. And, and then we, we, we get to high school, and things really start getting a little more serious. It's those long phone calls in the middle of the night. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I love you. I love you most. No, you don't. I love you. I love you to the moon and back. And then there's that moment. That moment when she asked, can I wear your sweatshirt? And you say, yes. When I was in high school, the high school I attended, it was a school where you tried hard to belong. It was important to belong. And this is back in the day before Tommy Hilfiger and some of the other fashion statements of today. But there, there was a shirt that every guy had to wear. It was called Gant. And it was the first shirts that had the loop on the back and the little pleat, the, the box pleat. And if you were poor, you couldn't afford to have Gant shirts to wear every day. So some of us got smart. And in order to belong, we had our moms just sew a label in the back because that's how you could tell a Gant shirt. And the girls all had to wear ladybug or villager dresses and it was Weijin shoes and saddle oxfords. But if you really wanted to belong, if you really wanted to make a mark in the school that I attended, you needed to play sports and you needed to get a letter jacket. Not everybody who played got a letter jacket. 
You had to earn it. And so everybody knew that you were something if you had a letter jacket. When I was in high school, I was a whopping 82 pounds. That's if I had rocks in my pocket. I was four feet, eight inches tall. I tried to play football, and they confused me for the ball. I, I tried to play basketball, and they laughed. I couldn't play baseball because my vision is so bad. Even if you put me in right field and somebody hit the ball out there, I'd stand and kind of, hmm, wonder what's going on. But there was one thing I could do. I could run. I wasn't the fastest, but nobody could run further or longer than I could. And so I ran cross country. And I trained and I ran and I trained and I ran. And finally, I got that jacket. And the very first thing that I did with that jacket was I was going with a girl who, believe it or not, was six feet tall and the center of our basketball team. But that was what you did. And she wore that jacket. Now, I want you to picture this. I'm a squirt. And she's a giant. And she put that jacket on and the sleeves hit her about here. And the jacket hit her about here. But she wore that jacket not to make a fashion statement. She wore that jacket because it was mine. You want to know how much God loves you? You look at what Jesus was willing to wear. He wore my cross. It didn't fit him. In fact, it looked rather foolish. Some would even say scandalous. He shouldn't have worn it. But he didn't wear it to make a fashion statement. He didn't wear it seeking favor of the crowd. He wore it because it was mine. How much does God love us? How high, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of God? So exceedingly abundant that he wore our sin, our shame, our guilt to the cross.
that we might know the love of the Father. And when you know the love of the Father, it changes everything. So, 16 years ago, when our son was killed in a motorcycle accident, the very essence of our being was tested. Everything that we believed and everything that we had taught and everything that we had preached and everything that we had said was true was suddenly confronted with the reality of a brokenness that no one should have to experience. And at the time, my elders knew full well what kind of man I was and that I would not tolerate people coming to the house with all kinds of platitudes and all kinds of statements that were well-intentioned but could only harm. And so Lewis made sure that we were protected. And I got out of the house one time. And Debbie thought that it was to go for a run because I was working on my son's funeral. And she thought that I was just trying to get a clear head. But I had received a call from our elder emeritus. And he had asked me to come and to speak with him. I didn't want to even though I had the highest respect for this man. He didn't say much, but when he did, it was always important. And when I arrived at his house, he met me at the door. He didn't say anything. He just hugged me. And then he took me into his kitchen and there, on his kitchen table, was a loaf and a cup. And he looked at me and he said, let's remember. Let's remember. God lost a son too. He understands and he loves you. So it begs the question, what would it look like? What would it look like if this morning we entertained and embraced the idea and the reality of how much we are loved by God? Perhaps it would be that a girl who has been challenged over and over and over again by this young boy saying, if you love me, 
you will surrender to me. And she comes to realize she doesn't need that kind of love. She is loved by the creator God of the universe. And that is enough. What would it look like? Maybe it's the mom and the dad who are struggling every day trying to be the absolute best parents that they can be. Surrendering of themselves, their time, their resources. And suddenly this morning they come to realize that while that love is important and needed, that they can have confidence that where they fall short, there is a God whose love is perfect. And he loves their kids. Or maybe it's the guy who has tried so hard and he has failed over and over and over again to rid himself of that addiction, that unfounded need. And suddenly, he is washed over by the fact that God loves him. And that is more than enough. You see, I don't know what all of you are facing. I don't know what you're confronted with. But I stand with John. And I stand with Paul. I know and rely upon the love of God and it is sufficient. And so this morning as we prepare to share at the table, I I know that some of you probably think Week in, week out, maybe you're a visitor and you wonder, why do we do this? We do it to remember. To remember that he wore our cross. We do it to remember how much we are loved. And it never gets old. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Church, do you believe it? I pray that you do. In just a moment, the worship team's going to begin a song. And when they do, 
I'm going to invite you to come to the front this morning. It's a little bit different to come and to come down the center aisle to receive and then to go back the side aisles. I don't want you to rush this morning. I probably preached longer than I should have, but I don't care. I want you this morning to take some time not to confess. We should have done that before we ever got here. Not to repent. We should have done that before we ever got here. I want you to simply bask in the unfathomable love of God and to know that you are his beloved. Oh, what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children. Father God, that you might receive all the glory and that for us who already know that we might renew again, Father, the energy the delight that comes from knowing the depth of your love. For those, Father, who struggle, may your spirit whisper over and over and over again, you are my beloved. I chose you. I long for you. And if there's someone here, Father, who doesn't know that love, May this be the moment in which they see the power of the cross, the depth of your love. For we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen.